Hello, and welcome to Our Walk Together. This is the place where we have a chance to listen and to learn from others on our walk. My name is Paul Long, and I will be your host, but also a fellow traveler. I'm glad that you're able to join me today on Our Walk Together. So welcome, everybody, to our walk together. I'm glad you found some time to to be with us today and to to share in our discussion. Uh, I have somebody today that I think is going to be a very interesting guest for all of us. I know that he's got a lot of things that I am personally interested in um, and things that I think a lot of the people who are listening to the podcast would be interested in. So let me give you a little bit of an idea of who he is. His name is Amos Smith. Uh, he lives up in the great state of Washington, um, and it, it, interestingly, what he says in his biography is that um, in his late teens or 20s, he was a backpacker and a mountain climber, um, and oftentimes in the mountains, uh, and looking at the vistas in the mountains, he had the unmistakable intense feeling that he was a part of something sacred and mysterious, and that was much larger than himself. Um, I think anybody who spent any time in in outdoor settings kind of gets that a feeling every once in a while if you're if you're making allowing yourself to be aware of it. He began to explore meditation and Quaker silent meetings for worship. And in 1999, he met the founder of Contemplative Art Outreach. His name is Thomas Keating, and Keating told him if you practice centering prayer for at least 40 minutes a day. And if you do an extend, if you do extended retreats, you will make progress. Well, it seems like he did make progress. He's, he says that he was spent a lot of his life as an athlete, as a competitive wrestler. Um, and in 1999, he after that conversation, he applied uh, his athletic discipline to this uh, the discipline of centering prayer, which I think is a fascinating way to to phrase that. Um, and most importantly, through Centering Prayer, he found that the tensions that, that he had in his body dissipated um, and his his nervous system gradually healed. Um, Amos is a pastor. Um, he's got three books out right now on contemplative arts, and he'll tell you a little bit about that near the end of our, our podcast. And um, just some very interesting things that I hope we'll have a chance to talk about today. So, Amos, welcome to our walk together. Thank you, Paul. I, I really appreciate your time and appreciate your show. Oh, thanks. Tell me, tell us, I mean, I just read a whole list of things of, of things that you had sent as part of a biography. So fill in the gaps for us, whatever you'd like to fill in in, in the things that I just was talking about. Well, so, so nothing happens in a vacuum. Uh, you know, there's always context to everything. And uh, really the most significant context in my life leading up to uh, the practice of centering prayer was, uh, first of all, um, I, I grew up in a fishing family. My, uh, my family loved to fish, especially my mother. My mother uh, grew up fishing all the time. Um, my mother's family, uh, it wasn't vacation unless they were fishing, unless there were lines in the water. So um, 
so that's uh, that's what I ended up doing, um, especially in the summertime. We'd go to uh, Sebago Lake in Maine, and we would go out on two flatback canoes, and uh, we'd go way out into Sebago Lake, which is a very big lake, mm-hmm. and we'd uh, fish for uh, for pickerel and for smallmouth bass and for sunnies. And, uh, you know, that's really my first taste of contemplation, because I would be out on the lake, and it would be extraordinarily still. And um, it was just my mother and I, and, and my mother was beloved to me. Uh, but we, would, we were just sitting there casting lines. And there was something about the, uh, the, the lake beneath, the earthen v- vessel underneath our feet, and the sky above, it just, everything was lined up. And I, I felt this peace uh, that, that I, I thirsted for, you know, that I think we all thirst for. And I, I felt it there on those fishing trips. And, and as some of my very best memories is every summer, we would go up to Maine, we'd spend three weeks and, uh, and we'd fish. Um, then later on, I think you touched on this, you know, when I was in my late teens and twenties, I I got into mountain climbing and backpacking and I would get up on a mountain Vista and look out over all the area that I'd come and all the, the amazing forest and, you know, the, um, the the geography, which I, which I love. And I, I would just, I would feel it's hard to explain, but kind of a homecoming feeling, like, like, you know, I, I've come home that, that um, all these, you know, these trees that give me the oxygen that I breathe and, and all these creatures, um, I'm, I'm connected to them in a much deeper way than I even fathom. And that I, I belong in this world. And that uh, there is peace that, that is available, which is, um, you know, when we get away from the hustle and bustle of our, our jobs and, and pounding coffee and getting through 100 emails in the morning, when we get uh, you know, away from all that and into nature, and that's why some of my favorite mystics actually are na- what I would call the nature mystics, uh, St. Patrick, St. Francis. And I think, Paul, you would uh, resonate, of course, with St. Francis because, oh, yeah. of course, <laughs> this, this is the start of the Franciscan order. Um, yeah, exactly. but, but, you know, yeah, but, but you know, that, that for me, the, the, the nature mysticism in Christianity, uh, you know, it speaks to me most. I mean, that was my origin. So mm-hmm. I think it's good when you talk to an author or somebody who is excited about an idea, you know, what's the context here? Why, how did you get there? And, and this is how I got there from, with fishing and with mountain climbing. Oh, marvelous. Yeah, I know that I, that feeling that you're describing, I, I think many times in my own life, I've had that same kind of feeling of wow, this is just where I need to be right when I need to be here. You know, Um, that's just an amazing, amazing feeling. And I think sometimes we don't take advantage of those opportunities that maybe we should. You know, I live in the city, so, you know, you're constantly doing something or or whatever in the city. And I know for myself, I find uh, my, my, my daughter has a place that's down near the southern part of the state and it's all wooded and all that. And I know I go there and it's just like all the tension goes away. As soon as I get in the trees, for some reason, the tension just all goes away. And, right. you know, I can begin to experience things. Right. And I think it's proud, you know, to limit uh, how people feel connected 
to this, uh, you know, deep um, peace. Um, and of course, it's referred to in the Gospels, you know, the peace that passes all understanding. That, that's mm -hmm. how St. Paul put it. But, um, but, you know, people connect to that peace in different ways. And, and I don't think we can minimize any one way. One of, one of my most uh, humorous, uh, I think, stories about Thomas Keating, I, I love Thomas Keating. He's my, you know, he's, he's just a great teacher for me. And I, I've read his books. And, um, but, uh, and, and I've, I've spent time with him also in, in his monastery in, in Snowmass, Colorado. But, but, uh, but, you know, Keating, one time he was giving a talk on centering prayer and, and uh, he was just speaking of, of the wonders of centering prayer. And there's this woman in the back of the hall where he was talking who was resonating with everything he said, you know. And, and so, uh, you know, every single thing he said, she, she was nodding her head. She just seemed to she, she was smiling. So after the talk, he went in and, uh, he, and he asked her and he said, um, you know, I see that you're resonating with everything I'm saying about centering prayer. Do you practice centering prayer? And uh, and she said, uh, "Oh no, I crochet." Nah. <laughs> and, and you know, and and for me, you know, it just it, the reason why the, I, I love that story is just because we sometimes minimize, you know, uh, where people can experience. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, this, this, um, but, but I, I agree with you that, that people need to get away and they need to have more balance in their lives and there's too much screen time. And if they can just get away into nature, it's great. I have a friend who gets away on a sailboat in the Chesapeake Bay mm. and, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a very busy pastor, but he gets away maybe once every three or four weeks and it really clears his head, you know, being so, so you, you got to find something, whatever it is, it could be yeah. sailing, it could be crochet, but there's got to be something that that brings you to that to that piece and and to balance out all the hyperactivity sure so you, you mentioned centering prayer um and it's one of the things that i know you talk a lot about of you know that create that makes your own spirituality uh come alive so let me ask you right off the bat what what in your mind what is your definition of centering prayer So centering prayer, again, I always like to look at the context. Mm -hmm. um, it's an ancient Christian prayer form. It has its roots in the cloud of unknowing. And the cloud of unknowing, I, you know, I should go and look and see what, what, uh, what the date is on it. I, I think the cloud of unknowing, do you remember, Paul? It's, I think it's like 15th century, 16th yeah, century. Yeah, probably, yeah, and something like that. Anyway, it, it comes out of the monastic tradition in England. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, it's anonymous. Uh, nobody knows who wrote it. But it was obviously somebody who had uh, deep experience with uh, with the the silent prayer tradition in, in Christianity. And and then, you know, when it came to our time, there were three uh, Benedictine monks. Uh, there was Basil Pennington, William Menninger and Thomas Keating, who all thought that this uh, ancient Christian prayer form needed to be made contemporary for our time. So they they took the cloud of unknowing and, and they took that practice and they made it, they simplified it. And that is what we know today as uh, as centering prayer. My uh, my only real lament, uh, you know, with centering prayer, 
that I always share uh, with, with people is I think people are simply not disciplined enough, at least the, the people that I know who are in the mm-hmm. centering prayer tradition. And, and what I tell them is, you know, if, if any art form that's worth doing uh, in any art form you want to do well, you're going to have to practice at it. For example, with a violin, I mean, you are going to have to uh, spend that time every day practicing if you really want to be good at it. And the same, it's the same with centering prayer. You can't just kind of dabble around and, oh, I'm, I'm you know, I missed a few days and, and now I'm back to it. And, and I mean, you, you've really got, you have to eventually, in the beginning, it's okay to have, you know, to give yourself a lot of room to get used to that daily habit of, of sitting. But mm-hmm. eventually, I think people need to, to be disciplined to really get something out of it. So what, what basically happens and, and what is your practice, I suppose, of centering prayer? What, uh, you know, do you sit in a certain spot? Do you, you know, think certain things or however, what, what, what is it that you're, you're doing as part of centering prayer? Well, I'd like to use two analogies, which um, give a sense of what it is you're trying to achieve in centering prayer. So, so the first analogy, it's used in the Eastern Orthodox tradition. And if somebody asks uh, one of the monks, uh, you know, what is Hezekiah, right? And Hezekiah, uh, what the loose translation is inner stillness. It's basically the same as, you know, what is centering prayer, right? Right. So what the monk will do is he'll take a glass of water that has dirt in it, and he'll kind of, he'll shake it up a little bit, and he'll put it on a shelf. And what you'll see is that there's all these particles of dirt that are swirling around in the, in the glass of water. And that's the nature of our minds. Our minds, uh, most people have a new incoming thought every three or four seconds. And uh, one, one uh, meditator said, you know, if we had as much control over our legs as we do our minds, we would not be able to walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people do not have very much control over their minds. So, so the same is true, uh, you know, um, you know, anybody who's starting something like centering prayer, that is the nature of of your mind. It's like all of those particles of dirt that are swirling around in that glass. But then, um, you know, I'm, I'm a Quaker, uh, and I, I'm a part of uh, a Quaker meeting and, uh, and and that's my tradition now. Um, But what some of the Quaker elders will say is, is, you know, about um, silent prayer is that you just, you want to settle down you know, that's really what, and that's what you want to do with your mind is you want it to settle down. So when that glass of water sits on the shelf, um, after three or four minutes, you'll see that there's a little bit less dirt that that's riled up inside the water. And then if you wait like 10 minutes, you'll see that all the dirt pretty much uh, settles at the bottom of the glass. And then the glass becomes transparent. And there is, uh, there's nothing that's swirling around in the glass anymore. And, and that's where, what we're trying to do in the practice of centering prayer. We're trying to let go of our, um, of our thoughts and, and to, to, to just rest in that clarity, which is spacious and which is open and uh, which is like a transparent uh, glass. The, the other analogy I like to use for centering prayer, Paul, is the analogy of trying to train a puppy to sit in the center of a circle. 
so you have a you have a circle uh, maybe um, you know drawn in the in the ground, and you're just trying to train the puppy to sit in the center. So the puppy will wander, and you gently bring it back to the center. It'll wander again. You gently bring it back. It'll wander uh, you know over and over and over again. It's just monotonous, and and you just keep bringing the puppy back. And you have to remember to be patient with the puppy, because as Thomas Keating said, sometimes you know you you will be tempted to to whack the puppy. Um, you know, because it, it just becomes so frustrating because you start to realize the nature of your mind is always wandering. It's just a monkey mind. And, and so, you, but you just keep on with that practice of gently bringing the puppy back to the center. And the technique we use in centering prayer to bring the puppy back to the center is what we call the sacred word. So when your mind begins to wander, you use the sacred word to bring it back um, so that you're no longer in some kind of train of thought. Um, and I, you know, I could, I could say more about that, but, but those are, th those two analogies, I think, help give a sense of, of what, you know, what you're really trying to do in, um, in Centering Prayer. And then ultimately what happens is when um, the mind is no longer preoccupied with thoughts, it, it enters into a deep rest, which is actually it's clinically proven that it's, it's much deeper than sleep. And, and when you enter into that deep rest, the body also begins to rest on a much deeper level than it has been able to in the past. And then as a result of that deep relaxation, the body uses that opportunity, if there's tension stored in different muscles, to release that tension and, and to, to go to an even deeper place of relaxation. And so that's, that's the beauty of centering prayer is you, you get to a place of, of much deeper rest than than most people have, have ever experienced that's beautiful that's a nice beautiful way to to kind of put it um you know i i know i've i've often talked with with folks about about prayer and i think sometimes we get so wound up in in the words and you know all this kind of stuff of what we're doing when we pray you know i right. i have a famous story i tell about how you know you, you're saying all these words and you know this is supposedly prayer and all of a sudden you hear that little knock on the, on the door that says, is it my turn yet? And I think, you know, that's that's the century. That's the part of it where, you know, hey, do I get a chance to get in here? Or are you just going to blabber on for a while? You know, <laughs> and I think that that's a, a big part of of what you're talking about, that yeah. complete rest um, within the spirit of God, within the spirit of Jesus, that complete and total being with um with them yes yes and um the uh you know i think i think it's good to also distinguish paul it's good to distinguish uh, what we really mean by the sacred word so mm -hmm. so for example just just so you know i mean my sacred word is you know no mystery is the word rest um, and it's, you know, it, it comes, it comes from the gospel. It says, you know, right. um, come to me, uh, whoever you are, uh, who are heavy laden, um, and burdened and I will give you rest. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so that's my sacred word is rest. Now, if I'm sitting, um, in centering prayer before lunch and the thought enters my mind, um, I am going to enjoy lunch after, after my centering prayer session. Right. That's fine. 
There's no problem. You don't even need your, your sacred word. You just, the thought has entered your mind. The thought has left your mind. That's the nature of all thoughts, all phenomenon. It, it comes down the screen of consciousness. Then you let it go and that's it. Forget about it. So, so you don't even need the sacred word for that. But the reason for the technology of the sacred word in, in centering prayer is if I go further down that track of the thought that I had. So let's say I'm sitting there before lunch and the thought enters my mind, wow, I'm really going to enjoy my lunch uh, after this centering prayer session. And then I think to myself, you know, the avocado that I got, it's, uh, it's not quite ripe. I, I don't know if it's going to be fully ripe by the time that I, I get to lunch. And, and I don't, you know, that sourdough bread that I had, I, I think my wife may have taken the last two pieces, you know. And, and so, so I don't know what I'm going to use uh, as bread, um, you know, for, for my avocado sandwich. And, and the mayonnaise, I think there's just a little bit left in the mayonnaise jar. I might need a spatula to get the mayonnaise out. You know, so, so you're basically going sure. on this, this big, full-blown train of thought. That is when you need the sacred word because your mind has gone off on a major tangent and and then the sacred word the the purpose of it is to call your mind back you're like oh i caught myself you know i i just went off on that tangent and now i'm going to use the sacred word and say rest and and that reminds myself to come back to my center and and then i you know i'm just watching over my mind and that's in in orthodox tradition eastern orthodox that's what they always say is is that hezekiah ultimately is you know if you read texts like the philokalia it says you watch over your mind and you use you have watchfulness and what you're watching is you're watching for those for those thoughts to become tangents and when they do become tangents you t you call them back and and over time you do this enough month after month is your mind becomes more stable it becomes more quiet it becomes, uh, it's able to focus uh, more clearly. And it's also more in touch, I would say, with, uh, with the Holy Spirit. When, when, um, when I was reading what, what you had sent and everything, part of what you say is that I guess you're, you're, you're trying to practice uh, centering prayer, I guess it's like 40 minutes every day um you know if that's accurate and I'm, I'm just going to ask the question that i know our the audience is going to ask is how in the heck do you find 40 minutes where you can do this not be disturbed but yet you know continue on with everything you need to do and how do you do it and maintain it for 40 minutes well, I, I think the, the, you have to you have to experiment it, it, with it, and you got to work with it. But um, you know, and and I have had um, times in my life when what I was doing was not working. For example, um, for a while, I would come home, and then as, instead of just hugging my wife and saying, "Hey, wonderful to see you. It's been a long day. You know, let's sit down and have some tea or something like that," which is what a husband probably should do. Um, I would disappear into my my study and I would do my centering prayer. And, and my wife, did. it was not working for my wife. So, so you have to you have to figure out a way that it's going to work for you. And what I finally figured out worked for me is I would wait until I get to work, and then the admin who I work with, uh, you know, I, I basically she just got to know me and and my habits. I would get into the office twenty minutes early. 
I would lock the door. I would, I would tell her, you know, hey, take any calls that come in because I'm not available. And I would sit for my 20 minutes in the office um, and just make sure that, you know, my admin is handling the phones. And then I would do the same thing um, before lunchtime is I would just, you know, tell my admin again, hey, take the calls. I, I'm in a meeting, right? I'm in a very important meeting. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> um, and, and for 20 minutes, I would, I would uh, sit um, before, before lunch. Um, so, uh, and I, I like to do a centering prayer on an empty stomach. So that's the reason why, you know, I advocate for, you know, before breakfast and, and before lunch. Mm-hmm. And then if you're going to do it before dinner, uh, what I would recommend, because sometimes I'd have a busy day and I'd, I, I miss one of the first two, um, you know, centering prayer sessions, then I would just uh, take 20 minutes before I leave the office. And then that way, as soon as I get home, I'm totally available for, you know, for my wife and for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, those are, those are ways that work. And I have a friend named Rich Lewis who, you know, he's also written uh, a book about centering prayer, mm-hmm. but he will actually, um, during his lunch break at work, he will go to his car and he will practice centering prayer in his car. Um, so what, what, and, and then he says, actually, you know, the time of day that was always the most difficult was his second half of the workday. He, he just, uh, would lack energy, lack enthusiasm and so on. But when he would do centering prayer in his car and then come back, he would have a second wind and, and he would have what he calls, uh, relaxed efficiency. Mm-hmm. And, and he would able to be able to actually get more done, uh, in a relaxed, uh, in a relaxed way. So. So that's interesting you mentioned Rich's name because uh, Rich has been a guest on our walk together nice. um, in, in the past. And for, for people who are listeners, I was going to use that exact same example of sitting in your car at lunchtime because that's the one that Rich always uses. And for those, if, if anybody who's listening, if you want to listen to the full thing with Rich, if you go to the to the website where the podcasts are, his podcast is there. It's I don't remember which number it is, but it it will be listed there so you can listen to him as well nice. um so you're 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 basically not doing 40 minutes in a row or consecutively or is it's broken up right the day? right yeah no, no what thomas keating always advocated is two 20 minute sessions a day okay and he he called it like a capsule of the contemplative life uh-huh. you take your capsule and and it it helps you get kind of reconnected um, whereas if you don't take your capsule then you kind of stray further and further away from that center um and uh, you know and and people you know it, one of the things that keating used to say is is when you're when you're doing this practice people will notice that you're changing and he, he said, you know, one, one thing that some of his uh, students have said, which I, I think is humorous, uh, is, is they, they would say, you know, the people that used to just drive me all the way up the wall, they only drive me half the way up the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Keating used to say, that's really good progress. He said, you know, you're, you're, you're really making progress in contemplative prayer. So that, that kind of leads me to where the next kind of thing I wanted to ask you about, and that is, what what effects do people see both in what what do you see in yourself and what effects do other people see in you as a result of your practice of centering prayer well i used to have a lot of tension paul uh, and i used to carry it in my jaw uh, in particular and also in my shoulders in my upper middle back um just a lot of tension and what what started to happen for me after I'd been doing centering prayer for about three years 
is um, slowly the, the tension started to go away. And there is something in the Centering Prayer community they refer to as unloading. And um, unloading, it's actually when you're sitting uh, on your chair or in your cushion, whatever the case may be, you're doing your centering prayer. And, and all of a sudden, a, a feeling of nausea comes over you. Mm. And, and it's, uh, it's not pleasant. And sometimes, uh, like for me, it was, it was a knot, it, uh, like a knot in my stomach, a knot of tension, and, and it would just become excruciating. And, and mm -hmm. I had to just stop the centering prayer and I had to just focus on my breath, you know, just to get through the knot. Um, but eventually what would happen, though, is, is the knot would, would unwind, it would dissipate, and I would feel this release. And it was just such a beautiful feeling of release in my body. And, and long-term centering prayer practitioners, they all talk about this. It's, it's well known in, in the centering prayer community, you know, this, this process of unloading. Mm -hmm. but, but that's when I really started to feel like just lighter, um, less heavy, uh, you know, better in my communication, less, uh, you know, less given to, uh, you know, major like bursts of frustration, J just more uh, at ease. And, um, and so that that's really the healing, um, you know, the healing process of centering prayer, what, uh, you know, what uh, Keating and others have, have called divine therapy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is that, you, you start to, um, your body just, just begins to um, relax. Do you find that your perception, your view of other people and other situations um, change within yourself as a result of that? Like, you know, you use the example of they only drive me halfway up the wall. Um, you know, do you find that that centering prayer helps with being able to look beyond what you might normally see as a face value of something uh, and look past that? Yeah, no, good, good question, Paul. I, I think um, it's, it's really, it's an ability to hit the pause button, right? Okay. And, um, and most, most minds do not have a pause button. And, and that is a problem. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, one, one other way to think about centering prayer is that you have lots of different thoughts coming down the stream, the stream of consciousness. And as you do centering prayer more, uh, there's more and more space in between the thoughts. And so it's the same thing with, with somebody who is, uh, let's just say, a toxic personality, you know, somebody who has a lot of unresolved angst and, and they're trying to project it onto you or whatever. Um, you know, in the past, it may have just really uh, aggravated you and, and you'd latch on to that, uh, you know, uh, insensitive, abrasive comment or whatever, and you would just latch on to it and, and, and it would just create, kind of put you in a knot. But now it's just, you, you have this reflex because of centering prayer of letting go. And just like all the other thoughts that come into the stream of consciousness, you know, you, you, they come and they go and you let them go. And the same with, with this person's, uh, you know, abrasiveness. You just, uh, okay, well, there it is. Let's let it go now, right? And you just don't get it kind of embroiled as much as you would have if, if you weren't doing centering prayer. And it seems to me that it takes some of the um, uh, automatic judgments that we make of people away exactly. or out of the picture a little bit. You exactly. know, we, we tend to judge very quickly of what we're seeing and and put it all together. And usually that's a wrong, a wrong judgment, you know, and, yeah. you know, it's you need to sometimes just get rid of that tendency that we all have of 
okay, if you think that way, that's fine. You know, you, you, go ahead. You know, I, I'm not going to try to convince you a different way. Um, but I have what I believe. You know, you're obviously telling me you have what you believe, and we'll just leave it there. You know, um, and I think yeah, that's an important part. Yes, and and I think that that what you just said, Paul, is is it's like an, a maturity, and and I think mature right. adults can can say if they need to, uh, let's agree to disagree. Right. right. We're not going to resolve everything. Uh, we're all complicated human beings. We, we come from very different backgrounds. We're, we're going to, you know, we're going to think differently on many different things, but mm -hmm. we can still have a dialogue. We can still have conversation. And I think that's um, that's life giving, you know, when, when you can um, when you can do that. I think one of the things that um, one of the phrases that I've gotten used to using with myself um are are the words of of uh pope francis where one of his famous things that he says a lot is who am i to judge and i think that's just a great way to remind yourself who am i to judge you know someone else i i can't do that that's not my my purpose that's that's god's business not mine <laughs> you know um yeah. so who well, am i to judge yeah and and i think the the swiss uh psychologist carl jung uh, you know, I, I think I really like when it comes to psychology. I mean, he, you know, he's my my root. I, I just, uh, you know, what what he has to say, and and what he talks about is that each one of us as human beings, we have things about us that we hide and that we suppress and that we deny about ourselves that we don't want anybody to, to know about. But when you go deep into some come some kind of inner work, spiritual work, uh, journaling, uh, centering prayer, things like that. Um, you start to be in touch with those things. And, um, and when you really come to terms and come to peace with your own shadow, with, with, with the things about you that, you that you hide and suppress, then you're less likely to project that negativity onto somebody else mm -hmm. because you realize you know, I, I've got my baggage. I've got my stuff. It's just like when Jesus uh, said to, uh, you know, in, in the Gospel of John, uh, he, he was saying to uh, those people who are about to stone that woman, he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone, right? All right. Exactly. I, I mean, that, that's, that's beautiful, you know. Um, and, and then another, another part of the Gospel, Jesus says, um, you know, if don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye and take, until you've taken the log out of your own eye, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I, I think that's, you know, that's so much of, of what uh, that sentiment that Francis is talking about, you know, who am I to judge, is that when you go into yourself and when you, when you do that work, you realize, you know, uh, I, I've got my issues, I've got my challenges, no, no adult who is honest uh, does not have these challenges, and, and so you're less likely to point the finger at somebody else. Right. And I think, you know, it goes along with the, the whole notion of the wounded healer. Yeah, you know, I can't help you unless I, you know, I recognize what's wounded in me. Exactly. And then I can then I can help. You know, there's lots of that's Henry Nowen's uh, thing, but there's lots of other groups now that are using that same philosophy of, you know, that that is that is one of my my wife and my favorite books. We both we that top ten for both of us. Right. <laughs> what a great book, because I is. think it really gets to the heart of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So you, you talk a little bit in um, in some of the stuff you've written about, you know, Christian mysticism, about, uh, I, th I, I warned you I was going to ask you about this, the new monasticism. Uh, what What's that? 
So um, new, new monasticism, uh, you know, if you look at the emblem that, that Thomas Keating often uh, puts out there, you know, the, the, there's four S's on the emblem. Uh, one S is silence, one is solitude, the third is simplicity, and the fourth is service. And I think that is an emblem of a lot of Benedictine monasteries, is uh, mm -hmm. silence, solitude, service, and simplicity. So I think as, as somebody who's, who's a new monastic, is that you take those principles of the monastery and you adapt them to your life. And so you, uh, you have more simplicity in your life. If you have three cars in the driveway, reduce it to two or one. You know, if you have two houses, reduce it to one house. You know, you just simplify your life as much as you possibly can. And, uh, and when it comes to uh, silence, you spend more time in silence. You spend more time in solitude. Um, you, you have that time. And, and then, uh, you know, my, my wife and I, we uh, read from uh, the scriptures each night. It's one of our practices. We don't do Lectio, but our, our favorite books are uh, Philippians and um, Philippians and Romans mm -hmm. and John and the Psalms. And so we just read from those, you know, from those th three, an epistle, uh, a Psalm and uh, a gospel mm. each night. And we've been doing it for, for several months. And, and there's something about the repetition of it that is beautiful. And that's what you also find in the monastery is they had, they had practices which were repetitive and uh, which became like this daily habit. And they actually referred to their scripture reading as, as their, their diet. Um, and when you think of a diet, that's something you do every day, two or three mm -hmm. times a day, right? And so it's a, it, there's something about that repetition which is important and, and which it sinks deeper and deeper, um, you know, in our psyche and in our spirit. You're also very much describing Franciscanism, uh, <laughs> which I mean, they're, they're very much related to, you know, all of the, 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 the Benedictines, the Franciscans, all very much related to each other, slightly different. Uh, emphasis is in some areas, but yes. you know the, the whole notion of simplicity and and silence and you know um, you know gospel living is right essentially right. the core of Franciscanism as well. You know um, sometimes it's very challenging, especially the simplicity one for those of us who are living in the, the world uh, to to figure out what that really means. But um, you know that's that's one of the challenges. Um, so one more thing, and then I'll, I'll give you a chance to kind of, kind of wrap things up for us here. You, you talk about, you know, how nonviolence has been a big part of your life. Uh, how does that particular thing fit in with everything we've been talking about in your life? So, um, you know, from the beginning, Paul, we've talked about when it comes to anything, I always like to look at the context, because I think, you know, when you look at things in isolation, it's not not that helpful. And, and so I think when it comes to nonviolence, <clears throat> I, I, one of the root phrases uh, is, how can I reduce the violence in this situation? So, um, so that's what that's what we're looking at. Uh, you, mm -hmm. We don't need to look at some big picture, whatever. Just just think of of the the, the context and and go from there. And so, for example, you know that story that we looked at from the Gospel of John, where there's a bunch of people who want to stone this woman who's been caught in adultery. Um, and, and so, you know, Jesus, I think in that situation said, how can I reduce the violence? And, um, 
and, and so what he first does, which I think is amazing, is that there's a basically this huge mob mentality and everybody's swept up in this mob. And he has the wherewithal to just kind of squat down and he starts kind of scribbling in the sand, which, you know, uh, speaks volumes about his his presence and, and his ability to just kind of... Uh, you know, be at peace amidst the, the clamor, but, uh, but they, they come to him and, and, you know, and, and they said, um, you know, Moses is lost as we should stone this woman. What should we do? And, and, and he, he just doodles for a little while longer and basically meditates a little bit, I think, to try to come up with a, a good response. And he says, you know, he who's without sin cast the first stone. So one by one, they all start to leave because they know that they're hypocrites mm-hmm. because they have visited a prostitute like her, when they were younger or sure. maybe in the yeah. last three years or four years or whatever. And so, you know, how, how can they in good conscience stone this person? <laughs> um, and so, the, and so that's a, that is a, I, I think a, a beautiful example of nonviolence in the gospel is oh, yeah. that's how, how Jesus brought nonviolence to that situation, because if he hadn't brought that, she would have been stoned to death. And, uh, and, and that would have been it. And, you know, I used to be a pastor in Montana and, and, um, you know, I, I would talk about nonviolence there. And this, this one guy, I just here again, it, context is important. I, I really liked what he said, you know, cause, cause he's, you know, he's a conservative guy. He owns guns. And uh, he said, you know, Amos, after what you said, you know, I, I used to think if somebody uh, broke into my house and, and, and was stealing things that I, I would just kill him, you know, but I think based on what you said, I, I think I just shoot him in the legs. <laughs> hey but that's improvement right? <laughs> i guess yeah that is <laughs> that's great but 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 that i think that really is the key of nonviolence. you know right. is, is that you just in whatever context it is it doesn't matter but but in every context you can think of there is a way to reduce the violence right, right. there's a way for that for that man in montana to reduce the violence if he was if he was robbed and there's a way for jesus to reduce the violence back in palestine when his woman was about to be stoned and, and in every different area of our life you know and sometimes it's as simple as you know, our, our son, my son is just, you know, he's done something that's just, uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, just just grabbing him and, and, and just, you know, uh, yelling at him or whatever. But but I, I just resist that. And, and I, I say, um, you know, uh, son, I, I'm disappointed. Um, and I, I, I feel I feel all worked up now because of what you did. But we'll we'll talk about it later when when I'm in a better place, because right now I'm not able to talk about it with you very well. Right. You know, that, too, is a form of reducing the violence. Of course. Right? Yeah. So. So, yeah, that, I think that's that's the challenge of the gospel, really, you know, uh, is, is to find a way in every situation to to bring more space, more humor, um, less mob mentality, um, less judgmentalism, you know. Yeah. Good lesson, a good lesson for our country right about now. Yeah. Things that we should be thinking about. But so um, we've been going on for quite a while now. So let me let me give you a chance. Um, tell us about your your publications. Tell us about how people could find them. Um, how do people find you if, you know, if they're interested in other information that you might be able to share? Whatever you'd like to to give them to uh, to think about here. Well, th- thanks for the opportunity, Paul. I, I appreciate it, and I, I appreciate your podcast. Um, so, um, my first book was titled uh, "Healing the Divide: um, Recovering Christianity's Mystic Roots." 
Um, and it really goes back to um, the theology of Jesus in, uh, in a more contemplative uh, mindset. And then my second book is uh, called Be Still and Listen, Experience the Presence of God in Your Life. And this one uh, really goes into scripture from a contemplative uh, mindset. Um, and then my, my third uh, book uh, is, is rooted in Quakerism. My, my mother was Quaker uh, for a number of years in her life. And I was, uh, throughout the 90s, I was a Quaker. And in the last five years, I, I found Quakerism uh, again. And it's a contemplative tradition. Right. You know, they, they sit in silence for one hour each Sunday. Uh, called, it's called waiting worship or, or silent worship. Um, but, but the title of this book, uh, I've got it over here, A Journey of Holistic Mysticism, uh, Experiencing the Integrated Spirituality of the Quakers. Mm. So, um, so that's my third book. And, and if you were to look into one of the books, I would probably recommend my second one, Be Still and Listen. It's a, it's a brief book. And <clears throat> it's, I don't know, I, just, I think it's a good place to start. Also, if you want to see all of my, uh, in my work, my articles, my podcasts, if you just Google um, Amos Smith author, uh, just those three words, um, Amos Smith author into Google, you'll, you'll find all of my stuff, you know, the websites, the, the, the podcasts and whatever else, it's all there. Great. So for, for my, I always say this at the, at the end, for all the people that were saying, wait a minute, I got to find a pencil so I can write all that down. Don't worry about it. When, when, I, when the podcast comes out, it'll all be there either in the podcast itself or else it will also, all that information will also be on the, uh, the website, my website, ourwalktogether.com. Uh, and that's where you're going to find extra kinds of things about what, what uh, Amos is talking about. So don't worry about it. You'll be able to find it even if you missed writing it all down right now. So, so Amos, I, I really want to thank you for being with us today. Um, you know, your, your message is inspirational. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it's always good to listen and hear somebody who's had experiential knowledge and things that they can share that are, are real, um, and things that I think will, will help a lot of people. I know I learned a few things even from listening to you today. So, um, we all can learn and we learn from each other, you know, in different ways, but, um, I, so I thank you for being with us today. Well, thanks Paul. And, and, and if I could just add just one last sure. thing. And, and that is, you know, if you, if you are, you know, to me, all of what I said is not really worth much, but if, if there's one person that's listening to this podcast who actually starts practicing centering prayer, um, that would be an amazing thing. And, and, and let me just say, I think the best way to start is just to sit uh, for as long as you can stand it. If it's just two or three minutes, that's fine. It doesn't matter. And then just write in the calendar three minutes. Then the next day, sit as long as you can stand, maybe five minutes that time. Mm -hmm. And then you put five minutes in the calendar. And just to get 30 consecutive days when you uh, intentionally sat every day, just for as long as you can stand it. Because mm -hmm. the reason people don't do this is because um, they start out with this rigid expectation and, they, and, and then they just don't stick with it. But I think if you just sit um, and not put any uh, you know, strict kind of time limit on it, and just sit as long as you can. And now if you miss a day, I would, I would recommend just starting over again and then getting 30 consecutive days where you basically just sit every day. And 
it doesn't matter for how long you just sit every day. And, and if I believe and, and Rich Lewis believes this too, if you can do 30 days um, of, of, you know, and just get in the habit of, of, of sitting every day for 30 days, the likelihood of you doing this practice um, for the long term is much higher. So, um, so yes, uh, I, that's what I would recommend. And um, you can, if, if you want to look at, at centering prayer, just, you know, just put that into Google centering prayer, and you'll see lots of uh, resources. Thanks again, Paul. Thank you for being with us today. All right. Well, the music means that our time together is at an end. I would like to thank you for walking with me today. It's been a great blessing. All of the information about the podcast is available on the website, ourwalktogether.com. Please invite your friends to also listen. You are the best advertisement. And so, until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and give you his peace.